have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, how you doing? Or if try to say it the way Don says it, how you doing? I can't. I've tried, I can't do it, so I, I, I'll quit. I'll just point to him and let him say it. <laughs> so, I just want to, before we go too much further, I just, uh, Derek Luchin uh, comes and visits our church as often as he can. But if you, uh, <clears throat> if you happen to be watching Tulsa University play football, uh, you'll see him on the defense up in the front, right in the middle, number 99. And uh, I, uh, I love watching Tulsa football now because I know Derek. And he does very, very well. Uh, he usually has three or four guys blocking him, and I don't know why the other team can't do what they're supposed to do, but uh, he, uh, the rest of the team, I mean, but uh, uh, Derek, we're proud of you. You just keep it up. You're doing a, you're doing a great, great witness and a great testimony uh, for the Lord. And uh, uh, Brother Bryant, good win last week, uh, though he, uh, I saw him upstairs trying to jump out of the coaching area, but uh, I'm glad the windows were sealed and he couldn't get out, so that, that's good. But uh, nevertheless, good win, guys, up, up front. Uh, Big T uh, uh, starts on the defense and offense and plays, and when he comes off after a few plays, it's like hugging a sponge. <laughs> uh, I usually just pat him on the shoulder. I don't hug him. I, can, you know, till, till, I hug him before the game, but not during the game. It's, it's, uh, it's all right. I want to talk to you today about influence, but I want us to see a video before we before we go anymore, just to kind of remind us what we're doing. I hope it'll play back. to prepare for the end of the world. When I started this series, you might have thought, I bet he's going to do prophecy and all that stuff. You see, really, about the way you and I prepare for the end of the world is that we get this ready. We need to make sure that our hearts are ready, that our lives are ready. Because <clears throat> when the Lord returns, <laughs> we get to go. If we die before he returns, we get to go, if we have a relationship with Christ. I'm sorry? We get to go first. Now we're talking prophecy. Here we go. Okay. The good news is it doesn't matter how big you are, God has enough wings to cover all of us. I've always contended it'll take a big set of wings to get me to heaven. But you know, my God is able. 
but I'm getting smaller all the time, they say. That's right. Somebody told me I had to start wearing a hat on Friday nights because my bald head kept shining up in the stands and blinding people. So, <laughs> whatever. So if I knew that, I'd just start leaning toward... No, I'm just... <clears throat> Give me some shoe polish. <clears throat> All right, here we go this morning. All right. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles you held up, that electronic device... We're going to pick it up at verse 17 here in just a few moments, but I want you to uh, have that ready. Leadership is about influence. How many of you believe that? Two of us? Okay. Leadership is about influence. Anybody else believe that? Okay, I'll try it one more time. Leadership is about influence. I'd like to see every hand up if you don't mind. Every hand. Every hand. I'll just hold up here. We're going to do the little... Here we go. All right. It's leveraging your influence for the sake of others. That's what true leadership is. It's influencing or leveraging your influence for the sake of others. A lot of people don't understand leadership. They think it's about getting people to do things for you. But in fact, it's just the opposite. It's about giving a voice to those who really don't have a voice. That's what leadership is. You might think, I'm not a leader. So really, I'll just tune out. This message isn't for me. I'll just read something in the bulletin. But I want you to ask your question, are you sure? Are you sure this isn't for you? Because I believe everyone is a leader in some area of life. You may not have the title leader, but there's people you're leading. If you're a parent, you're leading kids. If you're a husband, you're leading a family. If you're a friend, you're leading your friends. <clears throat> These guys have homecoming coming up. Some of them have been creative in how they've asked these girls to go to homecoming with them. But what I want to say to this row of young men and young women is that temptation will always be there. You, however, as a spiritual leader in your life, you say no to the temptation. And when you say no, great things happen. When you lead and lead properly, great things happen. God has some really, really neat things waiting for you if you'll wait. If you'll wait. And if you'll do the leading that God wants you to lead in the way that He wants you to lead. But at the core, <clears throat> leadership is influence. So if you have influence with anyone, then you have... Thank you, Jesus. Some measure of leadership going on. And here's what God desires for us, that we use this influence for His purposes and not what our culture does with influence and authority. In fact, in Proverbs 29, 14, it says this, Leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless poor are treated fairly. You and I need to be the voices for those who can't speak for themselves. If you see an injustice going on, get involved. Stop it. If you see something happening around you that's not proper, stand up and say something. Now you might get in trouble for doing that. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. Because when you're doing the right thing for God, getting in trouble is not a bad thing. And we live in a world that doesn't want to hear from you. These young, these young guys on the front row, 
They don't want to hear from you. The world doesn't want to hear what you've got to say. They want to influence you to be like them. They want to pull you down to their level. You rise to their level. You rise, you make them rise to your level. Amen? How about out in the workplace? Don't you have people wanting to pull you down to their level? <laughs> All the time. All the time. One of our members uh, started a new job, and first thing she found out is that she's going to be working or being trained by an atheist. <laughs> atheist didn't mind telling this, this person, hey, I'm an atheist. Like, that's supposed to scare you. I love what she said. Well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> oh, atheist didn't know what to do. Started telling why, wasn't an, why they weren't a Christian. They probably were at one time, but not anymore. Because God let them down. It's God's fault. <laughs> oh, wait till judgment day and you're going to be hot. I've never seen an atheist in a foxhole. And two seconds from death, I'd like to ask an atheist, well, what do you think? Five seconds after they die, I really want to ask them that question. <laughs> we started this series, How to Prepare for the End of the World, a couple weeks ago. As we're going through First and Second Thessalonians verse by verse. But what we're going to focus on today is that if Jesus really is coming back, and that could happen at any moment, then we need to influence other people. We need to influence people to the right way and to the right thing. My brothers and, and, and his wife, Marilyn, were more concerned after he was baptized about their son. And they said, we, we need to get him next. We need to get him next. I said, no problem. So the first thing I did when I got to Texas the other day is I asked my nephew, I said, sounds like I need to come and put you in some water. He said, man, I've been twice, but I'll go a third time. <laughs> I said, twice? He said, yep. And he told me at the time that happened, he said, and I strayed off the path and I did it again. He said, but I may need to do it a third time. I said, well, if we do it a third time, I'm holding you under to the bubbles quit coming up because I want to get all the sin out this time. <laughs> he just laughed. But his mother did not know that. She needed to hear him say that. So, is he living the life? No. But is he going to start living the life? As his uncle begins to hound him? Yes. We need to influence others in sharing the gospel, leading them to Christ. We need to influence others in seeing them become more like Christ. The way that happens is by allowing ourselves to be influenced by God's Word and allowing God's Spirit to transform our lives. Before every game, Coach Trimble allows Fellowship of Christian Athletes through that umbrella to have a devotion. We had our first home game Friday night. We had that devotion. I'll bet there was 80 people in there. Some of them maybe didn't want to be in there. They just came because the crowd went in there. But they heard a good message. Short message. But it's a message of hope. A message of faith. And on a public school setting, and in a public school setting, that's an awesome thing to see. Grateful for the opportunity. Grateful that our young people are right in, in the middle of it. And that was Paul's legacy. His life was transformed by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life forever changed. He then in turn made it a mission in his life to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it before, and that's what's happening in Thessalonica. He spent three weeks there, planted a church, strengthened the believers there. And in, in this chapter in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see how Paul was able to be so influential in the lives of those that he encountered. 
Parents, if you want to influence your kids, then pay close attention to what Paul says. Bosses, if you want to influence your, your employees, pay close attention to what Paul's going to say. Husbands, if you want to influence your family, pay attention to what Paul says here. Wives, if you want to influence your husband, watch what Paul does. Christian, if you want to influence your world, then watch what Paul's strategy is in our text today. And let's pick it up beginning at chapter 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse 5. And I've highlighted some words that fit the points I'm going to make. So in your outline, underline these or circle them or whatever because they're important. But as for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart. In other words, they never left them in their heart. Always had them in his heart. We greatly desired and made every effort to return to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you. There was a desire in our heart to get to you. I I wanted to spend time with you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying, I love this church and I love you people in this church. I say the same thing to my church. I love you. I care for you. I want to be with you. Verse 3, Therefore, Or in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these uh, these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to... Find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. It's really important to understand, first of all, influence comes out of a concern for others. Influence comes out of a concern for others. Paul's heart is seen in these verses because he's so concerned over these believers in Thessalonica He didn't get to spend too much time with them. So his goal was to find out how they were doing. And as we read, his desire was to to, to greatly know how they were doing, so he sent Timothy to them. But what's interesting to me is that it's not just a passing interest. He says, look what he says, more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Now that term great desire has strong emotions attached to it in the original language. How many of you have ever been on a diet? Let me see those hands. How many of you have ever been on a diet and you're out to dinner with somebody who isn't on a diet? How many of you have been out to dinner with someone who isn't on a diet and they order your favorite dessert and you have to sit and watch them eat it? Butter, brickle, ice cream. It's just not right. There's times, I'm not a violent person, but there's times I want to hit Don. Because he loves to come up to me and say, hey, guess what I had last night? I said, what? Butter, brickle, ice cream. I do, I want to lovingly just put my hand, the hand of God around his throat and just pray for him. But see, it's great desire. When I hear butter, brickle, I get great desire going on in my life. <laughs> but I can't have it. That's one of the things I just choose, I choose not to have it. It's not I can't have it. I just choose not to have it. I'm like a drug addict. If I start, 
I'll keep eating until I eat the whole gallon. Not a bad way to go. Not a bad. Stop and think about it. It's not a bad way to go. But that term, great desire, Paul uses, it's a word, epithemia, and in the Greek, it's best translated and can be translated as lust. Now we're getting to it. Paul's desire to see how these believers were doing was the was like the was like and as powerful a desire as lust is. Except Paul, his desire was for their good, for their good. And this is why the believers at Thessalonica listened to Paul and received his words because he cared for them. It's why you'll hear hard truth from people from those that you know, but they're the ones who care the most about you. That's why they're telling you these hard things. That's why they care enough to want to confront you about something going on in your life that you need to stop. Young people, you've got friends that need to stop stuff. Have enough courage, have enough faith in God to help them stop it. Adults, you've got co-workers, you've got friends in your life. They need to be confronted. Now do it in love. I'm not saying take a Bible and beat them to death with it. But do it in love. Let them know that you care about them. When a friend loses a loved one, it's interesting to watch people react. Some people just want to help, right? <clears throat> I mean, like they'll get a group together, come over, clean a house, for instance. Well, I mean, you'd think the house was hit by a hurricane with as many people as they brought, but hey, that's awesome because they want to get involved and they want to help. Or they'll bring food. And then there's a whole different set of people that they don't know what to do. So they stay away or they, or they don't say anything because they just, they just really don't know what to say. But care enough to do something. Maybe a phone call. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, you don't have to really say anything. There was an ancient Hebrew custom called sitting Shiva. Shiva is a derivative in the Hebrew. It was something close friends did when somebody, when a friend lost a loved one. They'd get together, they'd sit and they'd weep, but they wouldn't say anything for seven days. They'd just sit and weep. The, the story, as I want you to see it, is in Job chapter 2, right there in your outline. When three friends uh, of Job heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names was Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. It took me all week to say those. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Sometimes saying nothing is the most appropriate thing to do. But your presence will mean everything. Your very presence in the room will mean everything. And the point is, is if you want to have influence in someone's life and to see them change, you've got to have a desire for them that moves you to do something. To do something. Maybe their yard needs to be mowed. Go mow their yard. Don't say nothing. Just go mow their yard. Maybe their car's dirty. Go borrow their keys and go clean their car. You know, see what I'm saying? Find something you can do. Go sweep their porch. <laughs> I don't know. But you ask God and He'll give you what you need to do. That's the only way that they're going to know the depth of your love. But once they get it, they'll embrace your influence in their lives. Influence comes out of concern for others. Let's look at our next set of verses in verse 6. 
But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love and reported that you always have good memories of us wanting to see us as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live, if you stand firm in the Lord, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience because our, before our God because of you? And as we pray very earnestly right, night and day to see your face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. The second thing I want you to see, influence comes out of concern for others. Secondly, influence comes from words of exhortation. Words of encouragement. I want you to notice that Paul, what Paul says in verse 10. He says, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Basically, Paul's saying, I can't wait to see you so I can help you with your issues. <laughs> Sounds like he's kind of getting on to them, doesn't it? But he's so hungry to be with them. He so much wants to and desires so much to be with them. And one of the signs that you really love someone is that you're willing to confront them because you can't influence and lead people who, whose approval you need. You can't influence them. Happens in parenting. Parents feel like it's more important to be their kid's friend than their parent. Kids need parents. They need adults to stand up and say, no, you can't do that. Well, I'm going to go do it. Then you beat them within an inch of their life. You might say, well, preacher, I spare the rod, spoil the child. Why do you think I'd put extra padding on the backside? Come on. I'm not saying beat them and hurt them. But they need to be disciplined more so than taking the credit card away from them. Take their car keys. Take their cell phone. Oh, take their cell phone. You took the lifeline away. You control that cell phone, their whole world crumbles right there. Oh my God, I can't talk to anybody. I can't. I won't, I'll be out of control. I won't know what. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. We're on a trip to Missouri to CIY. One of them is sitting in this seat and the other one is in two seats in front of them. They could turn around and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> and then they're waiting. They're going, <laughs> turn around and talk. <laughs> Amen? Oh, my goodness. But if you've got little kids at home, they don't need a friend. They need a parent read a story that just tickled me this week. A son who thought he was Lightning McQueen. Remember that one from the Cars movie? And he said, Dad, you're Mater. <laughs> Mater and Lightning McQueen, they were friends. And the son would call the dad Mater all day long. But when the son wanted to go to sleep, he would fall asleep with his dad. He wasn't Mater anymore. So dad would come and he'd say, Hey, come, come lay next to me, Mr. McQueen. And the dad would say, no, 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 I'm your son and you're my dad. See, even the kid understood the importance of that relationship. And sometimes we forget it. Dads, you want to influence your son or your daughter to be a man or woman of God, then you need to be their dad. Be their dad. Moms, be the mom. You're not in competition with your sons or daughters, parents. I see moms with daughters and I just wonder what's being lived out 
through those daughters when I see the behavior of those kids. If I had a daughter and she was a cheerleader at Jinx, it would be a hard, I'd have a hard time letting her walk out of that house with what they had on Friday night. I, I just would. I stood next to one of them and I just, I looked at her and I went, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. that ain't right. It needs to be about 17 feet longer. <laughs> longer. I'll move on. Paul isn't being condescending when he says to them that he wants to perfect what's they're lacking in their faith. In fact, a godly influence wants to do that in life. James 1, 4 and 5 says, but let, and we read it earlier, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and will be given to him. God wants your faith to not be lacking in any area. It means there are tools in God's hands that He wants to use. We become those tools. He wants to use us in our life. He uses trials in our life to perfect our faith. He uses divine wisdom in our life. He goes. He uses godly people to perfect our faith. I read a story this week about a pastor who early in his Christian walk met a guy named Bill. Now Bill wasn't a pastor or a theologian. He was a construction worker. And he lived three, down, three doors down from this, this young preacher who was just getting into his faith. He invited, the, the, Bill invited this young Christian uh, man to come and knock on his door anytime he had questions about the Bible. And so this, this young Christian would keep a notebook and all the questions would pile up and then he would, uh, he would give uh, Bill a call. And one day he had two pages of questions, knocked on his door and Bill opens graciously and he spent hours answering every question that this young Christian had. Well, those sessions gave this young Christian confidence in the Word of God, helped him build his life on the truths of God. And so godly men like Bill and many others who befriended this young pastor mentored him to make him what God is today, and that's the pastor of a church in Florida. The pastor goes on to finish the story by saying he was teaching at a church, and after the service there were a line of people waiting to talk to him. As he got to the end of the line, there was this guy wearing a worker's uniform and construction boots. And when he got to him, he said, hey, preacher, remember me? Preacher hugged him. He said, not only do I remember you, I don't know where I'd be without your investment in my life. I've had men like that in my life, haven't you? And I'm grateful for every one of them. They weren't preachers or theologians or some of them very learned men but they allowed me to grow and they allowed me to ask questions and they did the best they could to answer those questions based on their life experience. Preacher went on to say that Bill didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, but he always told me the truth. People who will sit for hours and just let you talk, let you ask questions can mean so much in your life. It's true in my life. I know it's been true in probably your life. The influence is the result of investment that we make. Now the third part of my message. Let's go back to our text and 
Pick up at verse 11. Now many, now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. May He make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Amen. Influence is revealed through your heart. Influence is revealed through your heart. I want you to notice something. Paul's desire for them isn't for them to simply do what Paul wants. It's that they do what God wants. And that they be directed by God. The phrase, direct your ways, is a specific prayer out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will do what? Direct your paths. It's extremely important for God to direct your path. You need to acknowledge Him in all your ways. What does that mean? When I'm playing football on Friday night. When I'm cooking dinner on Tuesday evening. When I'm getting up to go to work tomorrow morning. You trust the Lord in all your ways. In fact, the Hebrew word there is yada. God is there. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> He's there. Acknowledging God is all about being focused on Him and knowing Him. The word yada is used over 900 times in the Old Testament. It's usually translated no. It could mean know God in all your ways. Know Him. Know Him. So how do I know God in all my ways? Remember, when you were a kid and your friends would ask you something and you would say no? Remember that time? It's because you already knew your parents would say no, so you might as well say, I'm not going to... I'm not going to force the issue. They're going to say no, so I'm just going to tell you no. Oh, chicken. Chicken. Oh, parents. You can lie to them. They don't know. They're stupid. And then what we hear? All the time. <laughs> don't mess with mamas. When, when women have children, something miraculous changes in them. They know. You may, not, you may be 10 miles away. They know when you have messed up. As you come in, they look at you. They raise that eyebrow. And you feel guilty like a whipped dog. You, you come in and she says, what have you been up to? And then you start to spill the beans. Why? Because you knew you were wrong. That's also called the Holy Spirit. So women are full of the Holy Spirit. Dads, they're asleep in bed. They get woke up. Your kid in home. Handle it, they say. Now, if it's a daughter that isn't home at the right time, what's he doing? <laughs> He's cleaning his shotgun. That's right. But it'd be best to be cleaning it and let the boy see you clean it before he takes her out the door. You see, daily walking with God is what's important. Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. But we're to present it a living sacrifice. Living. Movement. Production. Paul says when we submit to God, when we get in line with what He's wanting us to do, 
then his will becomes very clear. Notice how Paul builds on this. When we allow God to direct our way, he causes us to increase and abound in love to one another. And here's what I've learned. When I obey God and allow him to direct my paths, my love for God grows because I see all the good that he wants to bring into my life. I see it all the time. And it's what happens to husbands and wives when they start doing the right thing, regardless of their feelings. What, what happens? Those feelings grow. And the love grows. People want love to abound when we aren't following God's plan. It's just not going to work out. Most of you know that I love football. I grew up in Texas, and I loved the Dallas Cowboys. When I was a, uh, a junior in high school, we were in the state championship. First time at Texas State, old Texas Stadium. I wore number 74, so guess what locker I went to? Number 74. And that was Bob Lilly. At the, at the, I'm, I'm telling you, this was the, oh, Roger Staubach, Bob Lilly, these guys. How? But of late, they stink. I no longer follow the Cowboys because they're terrible. I don't even think you can classify them as a football team. That's how bad they are. I would much rather watch Derek than I would the Dallas Cowboys. I would much rather watch our beloved Trojans than I would the Dallas Cowboys. Don and Aaron last week went to see the Cowboys play the Chiefs. I thought, man, I'd love to go to that game. I thought, no, Cowboys, forget it. And who won? The Chiefs. Really? I mean, really? Really. Because they fall apart every year. They have one game, and that's to start with, and that's it. They don't, they don't win anymore. And yet they paid that quarter. Never mind. <laughs> what am I trying to say about that? Love diminishes when there's not high investment. I don't love them anymore because I'm not invested in them anymore. The only thing that's any good is that new stadium that Jerry built down there. That's now AT&T Stadium, by the way. I guess he was going broke, paying all these players that don't know how to play. If they just pay Derek half of what they're paying Tony Romo, amen. Amen. I think that I, I'm going to ride him, Derek, just mention that. But really, the great love that he has, Paul states when he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. Blameless is a Greek word Paul uses in Ephesians 5, talking about husbands and how they're supposed to love their wives. He says in Ephesians 5, 25, 23, 27, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle in any such thing, but that, he should, that she should be holy and without blemish. A loving husband leads his wife to a more godly life. That's what Paul's doing. He's preparing the church to see their husband, Jesus. That's why Paul ends the chapter with a reminder that Jesus is coming back. The rest of this book is about being ready for Jesus' return. And my question for us and for you is, are you ready? If Jesus returned today, would you be ready to go? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you and be your Savior? If not, then why not? Today's the day. Don't put it off any longer. Jesus died for you so you could be reconciled to God, forgiven of your past, have hope in the future, and peace in the present. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation.
Pray with me, would you please? Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this message. It shows Paul's great love for this church in Thessalonica. And God, I'm just praying that each person here today will be ready. For whatever reason, if they're not ready, then I'm praying that they will get ready. That for whatever they need to do, that they'll do it so that they'll be ready should your son come back. Because God, we need to be ready every day to leave this place. And so Father, I'm praying that we will learn to be people of influence and that we'll influence in the right way. Dads with their family, wives with their husbands, husbands with their wives, and through their children, and then children with their friends. God, we need to be godly influencers. But we can't influence anybody if we don't have our heart right with you. So there may be a group of people that just need to do some rededicating, do some redirecting of their, of their path. I'm not sure what it is, God, but you know them, and they know what they need to do. So I'm praying for them that they'll make that decision. Because God, every one of us will make a decision before we walk out that door today on how we're going to let you either be the Lord of our life or status quo. In Jesus' name.